right. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. And um, it is good to uh, be back home. Um, for those of you I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Roland, um, uh, the lead pastor here. And we just wanted to start off um, by saying a big thank you. Um, a thank you to everybody as our church family. Um, for those of you uh, who weren't uh, here last week, uh, we were, um, B and I were away. Our family was away because last week uh, her sister uh, wa- passed away in a uh, car accident and we were uh, there for her funeral. So um, just wanted to say that you as a church family have been amazing. You have a ch- as a church family have truly been amazing with all of your prayers. Uh, with all of your texts, with all of your emails, with all of your uh, gifts, with all of your, what, I mean, even from uh, her side of the family in Laurenburg, um, they, they extend a big thank you as well. Um, so we just wanted to say that um, both in the uh, good times, we rejoice in the Lord, right? And I love how we uh, started the song uh, um, with the uh, worship set today, and uh, that was a perfect song. Thank you for that worship team as well. Uh, we also praise him during the challenging times, right? Because uh, God's good all the time. And so we've been able to experience that, and not just by drawing close to him, um, but also uh, from the love that's been poured out on us from you. So um, really, I, I can't say it enough. We, we, we talk about Christ community and culture all the time, um, but then a lot of times it's like hard to picture the depth of the reality of your life in Christ, right? This is why we believe. This is why we preach. This is why we sing, right? Because this isn't it. There's a resurrection that we have to look forward to. There's a hope in Jesus that we have to look forward to. And that's actually what she went on to be with the Lord in, resting in, uh, in that hope. And so uh, even though it's, there's a sadness and there's a natural sadness, right? Uh, Jesus himself wept. Uh, when Lazarus uh, passed away for the moment. Um, But there was also a rejoicing, right, where Jesus himself reminded the people that he himself is the resurrection and the life. And uh, though someone might pass away in him, yet will they live, right? And so that is our hope, and that's why we rejoice. And the depth of community, uh, that second part of things, is really experienced during times like this, the challenging times. And I, I can't say it enough, if you've been on the outside, come on in, because... Uh, the love of God is truly experienced in the family of God, not just during times of rejoicing, but times like this as well. So again, I can't say it enough, but thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you from all of us, okay? So um, I'll go on and uh, I'll continue uh, with the message that we have uh, today. And please just, I mean, I know you're gracious, but please just bear with me today as we go through this. But um, if you have not been with us the past several weeks, what we've been doing is we've been doing a series for the Lenten season, preparing uh, to celebrate uh, Easter, Jesus' life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection. So timely, right? And uh, even as uh, Cole made mention of even Billy Graham's going on to be with the Lord last week, it was a glorious time, and it was a glorious celebration of Billy Graham's uh, life well lived, and that he did it well. Looking forward to the well done and good, good and faithful servant. But what we've been doing is a series um, actually called Just Walk Across the Room, and even more so, right? Even more so. 
during times like this. This is appropriate. Even more so during times like this, we're reminded of why it's so important that we as the people of God not only have received the message of Jesus Christ, his life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection, but also have the ability to communicate it well to others, to share the good news. Um, again, just going back to uh, Bee's sister, you know, she was uh, uh, 45 years old in her passing. And knowing that in this time we have a uh, great opportunity to share the good life of Jesus with those around us uh, is a great treasure, is a great gift, is a great joy. And so if you haven't been with us for the past um, couple of weeks, we're going to start with just a little clip uh, from a man named Bill Hybels, who's the author of the series, and um, he'll get us started today. And um, the message today, if you're taking notes that we're going to um, be covering, is the power of story. The power of story. But we wanted to set it up with a reminder of the single greatest gift that we have. A lot of people I talk to get all freaked out when they hear the word evangelism. They think they have to master this massive amount of apologetic information they think they have to have a different personality than God gave them. They think that uh, it's just some formidable challenge that they could never rise to. And so often I find that it's the, the short, rather accessible little steps or walks or deeds that you do. It's not giving long speeches. It's mostly about friendship. It's not backing someone into a corner. It's just kind of pointing to Christ in ways that are natural for you. And I think if more people would do just the small thing that they can do, take a walk here, stretch out an arm here, say a word here, live your faith every day in a humble and kind of genuine way, I think a lot of people would find that they would be uh, touching a lot more lives than they think. So that sets us up in terms of re-engaging what we're talking about today, the power of story. So if you're taking notes today, how we're going to cover it is this way. Um, we're going to talk about, number one, that stories and the words used to tell them, they're powerful. Number two, um, identifying and acknowledging the fact that God has a story. And then number three, that you have a story, which is otherwise in the church world known as a testimony. And I hope everybody is rejoicing in the testimony um, that they have today. Uh, that you have a testimony and you want to learn to tell it well. But one of the things we're going to um, start with is just in a, sort of a word association play, um, a word association play to understand the power of words. Um, again, whenever we uh, think about the gospel of God, it's a message that is chock full of meaningful words. And there, there's a message in the words that are spoken whenever you're sharing the good news of Jesus. But I want to share with you um, some words and uh, just as a practical exercise, you don't have to shout anything out, um, but as you hear some of the words that are coming on the screen, if you would, just think about what immediately comes to mind as you hear some of these words, okay? We'll go through some of these. When you hear the word Mona, what immediately comes to mind? Lisa, right, okay, Mona Lisa. Next, we have Super Bowl, and somebody says anguish. Okay, no, but <laughs> yes, but yes, Super Bowl, but yes, you might think of the Eagles or underdogs or champions, right? <clears throat> vacation. Everybody says what I live for. No, okay, all right, no, but vacation, what immediately comes to mind? 
Okay, good. That's fine. You're smiling. All right, diet. And now you're not. Okay, so, all right, that's good. All right, let's go on to the next one. Okay, Kiefer, if you've uh, been a fan of Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime, anybody have a favorite show on there associated with Kiefer? Sutherland, which is what? 24. How many people have been binging on 24 recently? Going back in time a little. All right, that's fine. 24. Okay, so you get the point <coughs> that there's an association with words. And a lot of times we don't um, understand the power of words because as Christians, we don't know what's often associated with the nomenclature that goes along with us. Okay, we have one more word there. <coughs> President. Okay, we'll leave that one alone. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then finally... Born-again Christian. Born-again Christian. Whether you're a Christian in here now or not, there's often a reaction that comes about whenever you hear this term, born-again Christian. And if you were like me growing up, it was unfortunately a negative reaction. I grew up in, um, for the large majority of my life after leaving Brooklyn, New York, I grew up in a place called Charleston, South Carolina. Anybody been to Charleston? Okay, it's pretty. But growing up there as a young African-American man, <laughs> boy, it was a little bit different. Okay, I'll tell you that. And there were a lot of people who called themselves born-again Christians, but didn't exactly live what they professed in terms of their treatment of other people. So a lot of times, the reactions that I had to this term were negative ones. But whenever we are talking about born-again Christians in God's mind, how about this? We want God to be glorified whenever somebody is hearing the term born-again Christian. That somebody's life would actually be so powerfully changed and so represent Jesus and the story that's going on and the transformational work that he's doing in his life. That when somebody hears born-again Christian, they immediately think of things like this. That my goodness, anytime I think about my born-again Christian friend, they're some of the most loving. They're some of the most patient. They're some of the most understanding. They're some of the most merciful. They're some of the quickest people to offer a hand like you, church, in times of need, right? In times of sorrow or despair. They're the quickest people to want to come alongside and befriend somebody and share that there is actually a hope and a life beyond the struggles that are presently being experienced, right? That born-again Christian wouldn't have a visceral reaction and negativity, but it would actually have a reaction that actually leads to rejoicing in life, right? How many people would actually like to have that type of reaction whenever you hear that term? Or you would want your friends and family members and those who are your co-workers to have that type of reaction whenever they hear the term born-again Christian. Well, that's exactly what it should be. Whenever the Bible talks about the power of words, what we see is that the first point is, is that words and the um, <clears throat> stories and the words used to tell them are part of the born-again Christian's experience. Some of the things that, we're not going to put these scriptures on the sl um, slide for the sake of time, but some of the ways that both both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about words and the power of words are powerful. You can write some of these down, please. Ecclesiastes 6.11 says that, first of all, that when used sparsely, meaning succinctly, words carry great meaning. They carry great meaning when they're used sparsely and succinctly, meaning that the scripture says that it's the more the words, when you have more words, then there's less meaning. 
I have to continually remind myself of that Sunday after Sunday. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> okay. It's sort of like, okay, cut it down, brother. All right. It's like the more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? But words that are used both sparsely and succinctly, they carry great meaning. Psalm 119, verse um, 130 says that words can actually give light. Words can give understanding to those who don't yet understand. And whenever we're talking about taking a walk across the room, what we're talking about is walking across the room and engaging people in relationship who are now far from God. But God wants to draw them near through the gospel of Christ and through the love and the understanding and the words that are coming through your life. That's right. Just like Chris Tucker, you asked, can you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> you ask that question because they can actually give hope and meaning. Proverbs twelve eighteen says that although reckless words pierce like a sword, words from the tongue of the wise can actually bring healing can actually bring healing. Proverbs 17, 27 says that when used with restraint, words prove you're a person of knowledge. When used with restraint, words prove that you're a person of knowledge. Matter of fact, he actually says that if you could actually keep quiet, they'll think you're a person of knowledge rather than talking and exposing yourself. Anybody ever feel that way before? Okay, it's sort of like, oh, should have kept that one to myself. Okay, it sort of like can show that you're a person <clears throat> of knowledge. And obviously we have the knowledge of the Lord that we want to share. Ecclesiastes 9.17 says that words you speak will be heeded when they are spoken quietly. When they're spoken quietly. Not shouting at somebody or not being harsh or rude or having a voice filled with agitation, but spoken with humility. Proverbs 16, 24 says that pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Isn't that a great image? And Ecclesiastes 10, 12 says that although a fool is consumed by his own lips, the words from a wise man's mouth are gracious. Are gracious, meaning filled with kindness, filled with love, filled with compassion of the Lord. Deuteronomy 32.2 says that words can actually descend like dew. I love that analogy. They can actually descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. They're words, humble words, healing words, wise words, gentle words, grace-filled words. And if you think about the words that often come out of your mouth, the question is, what do people usually associate the words that come out of your mouth with? How do people often relate to your speech? How do people relate to my speech? Are they to the types of words that actually are reflected in the Scripture here, in the Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes, in Deuteronomy, are they the types of words that lay a level plane and a level path for building relationships and an open door for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Or are you, in fact, by the words that come off of your mouth, known as something or for something different? If people often talk about how you express yourself or how you complain or don't complain, how you encourage or don't encourage throughout the week and throughout your days, what do they think of with you? 
our goal for the course of this, uh, for the duration of this course is really to do one thing, to learn to tell God's story and to learn to tell your faith story, which is otherwise known as your testimony well, because they're full of the words of life that can actually lead people, open people's eyes to the Jesus that we love and that we serve. So what we want to do is transition into this. First of all, understanding this, that before we even talk about our story, we've got to understand God's story. God's story. God's story and how to tell it. That is what the Bible is. The Bible is full of history. The Bible is full of God's interaction with humanity from the beginning of creation until, obviously, Jesus was resurrected from the dead and the apostles wrote after talking about the life and the spread of the good news throughout the pagan world at the um, time of the Roman Empire. It's full of history, but it's full of the story of God. And whenever we think of another word, uh, that's the word gospel, a lot of us have a knee-jerk reaction. And we think immediately of the cross. We think immediately of the idea of Jesus being there bleeding and dying for our sins, taking the punishment that we all deserve, that we might be reconciled to God through his sinless life, his sacrifice, his resurrection from the dead. But the question is, do we know how to tell that story with words in a way that it doesn't just benefit us, but that it benefits other people? And what we're going to do is just give you a simple illustration that will help you no matter who you're with, no matter where you are, no matter what circumstance you might find yourself in. And of course, as, just as when we preach on a Sunday morning, this isn't an exhaust, is not an exhaustive message on the subject. This isn't the only illustration that you can use. But it is what we want to do is give you a tool, a tool that you can utilize both to understand, if you don't know God today, how he's reconciled humanity to himself through Jesus and his cross. And then number two, if you already know him, him, how you can very simply and clearly, as you're walking across the room, explain it to other people so that the power of his words can actually transform their lives. So the power of story, telling his story, is what we're going to talk about. God has a story, and the illustration that we're going to use is the one of the bridge. The one of the bridge. How many of you have heard of the bridge illustration before whenever you've talked about or heard about the gospel, the bridge illustration, okay? Let's throw that up on the uh, screen if we would. The picture of the bridge illustration. Whenever we think about the bridge, we think about this, that in John 5, 24 in the NIV, Jesus said something very plain. He said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Again, just like Bill Hybels was talking about, it's easy to get overwhelmed with the depth and the breadth of the scripture. It's easy to get overwhelmed with the message thinking that you have to be able to recite Genesis to Revelation to be able to benefit somebody. But how many people know that the only message that I had for the first several months, almost a year of my life, as I was trying to memorize this Bible, I opened it day after day and I was reading it faithfully, word after word, but sometimes it just didn't stick. Anybody have that experience before? You tried to even even memorized things in the scripture before. But the only thing that I remembered was John 3, 16. 
And I, all I could say over and over again, people realized and they recognized there was a difference in my life. Then they were like, Rollin, tell me why. And I'll say, I'll tell you what I told you last week. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They're like, that's great, Rollin. That's great. Do you know anything else? I said, not yet. (laughs) Not yet. But I know that. I know that to be true. And that's changed me. That Jesus has made me a new creation. That Jesus has come inside, got a place in my heart, and he's making me new. You can see it, can you? They said, yes, I can. And so eventually I kept reading past John 3, and I came to this. And he said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Isn't that good news? That it's appointed for every man and woman to die once. And then face judgment. And we're all sinful. We all deserve judgment. But the good news of the gospel is he says, whoever believes him who sent Jesus Christ has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. He's crossed over from death to life. And that's good news. That was good news to me whenever I realized because of my sinfulness that I was bound in. My chains that I tried to do what's right and I tried to do what's good, but I couldn't break free from my cussing or my sexual morality or all the things, my parting ways that were killing me. But then Jesus came and made a, came and made a home in my heart. And then all of a sudden I realized that in a tangible way I had crossed over from death to life. I was free from the things that once held me bound. I was free from the things that were once destroying my relationships, destroying my hope of the future, destroying everything that I had in terms of my perspective about life, people, and all that were in it. And it's talking about here in this scripture, a bridge analogy. And going on, not only throughout the country, but throughout the world on mission trip after mission trip, oftentimes being in countries where people were hearing the gospel for the first time. For the first time. I've had the privilege of traveling the globe with my wife, B, with uh, people like Cole and the Mankins and others and just preaching this good news. Sometimes the people who are hearing it for the first time, we take it for granted. But let me tell you, people come alive when they have some hope offered to them. People have some hope offered to them. And even in the midst of language barriers, even in the midst of language barriers, when we were ministering cross-culturally, we utilized this bridge analogy that helped people understand God's story, who he was, and how to be reconciled to him. So let's break it down. What does it actually mean? Can you see this on the screen? I know it's a little bit light. But I'm going to go ahead and use another living example. I need two two more volunteers, please. Two more volunteers. That's right. Come on. My Dave and come on, Kev. Come on, give it up for Dave and Kev. So what you see in the bridge analogy, learning to tell God's story well, is you see two different cliffs. On one side, on the left, 
You have people, all of humanity. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter in the secular climate and environment, whether they're Mahatma Gandhi. It doesn't matter whether they're Mother Teresa. It doesn't matter if they're a parent, a family member, or a friend. They are on the left side, separated from God. Separated from God. And for the great example that we have today, David is going to represent humanity. That's right. <laughs> David's going to represent humanity. And on the other side, I'm sorry, I don't know my right from my left. Kevin, on the other side, is going to represent God. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm up for it. Big task today. Okay. All right. But what we have in people's understanding of things is everybody has an understanding of God because he said in Ecclesiastes that he's put eternity in the hearts of men. Though mankind has not understood what he's done from beginning to end. That he's written his law, according to Romans, his law on their hearts, on all of our hearts. Even without God or a knowledge of God, there is the law of God inscribed by the finger of God on people's hearts. It's what people in our secular environment call their conscience. And even though they don't know necessarily the written law of God, they do have a conscience that's attesting to it. And even in the absence of God who's going to hold them accountable for that law, they are breaking their own consciences over and over again, finding themselves bound to the very law that they're subject to. Does everybody understand that? So what we see is that there's testimony of God in nature. There's testimony of God within the human art. And David is actually representing this. But what we see is that there's a great chasm. There's a great gulf separating David representing humanity and Kevin representing God. And what our people often think, especially in our moral culture, is that if I can just be what? If I can be what? Yeah, if I could just be good enough. If I can just be moral enough. If I can just even compare to other, like that term, born-again Christians, do a little bit more community service or give a little bit more or do a little better, I can actually earn my way to God. Has anybody ever heard that t- um, statement before? If I, I actually do better than the Christians. That's what I used to say. Because I used to have a whole bunch of Christians talking to me about this good news and this gospel. And I was like, listen, I know your life. I'm better than you. That's what I used to say. And they're like, you're right. But you know what? It's grace that has saved me. And I can actually repent. How about you? So all of a sudden, Dave's on this side. And we often hear the argument that if I just work to God, and if you can imagine this, actually, I'm going to... Actually, ask you to go on the stage for the sake of the example. I want to represent the chasm. You can walk up the steps or you can jump up. Some CrossFit in here. (laughs) You can come closer to the edge. And in this bridge analogy, we often have people trying to discover what it's going to take to get to God. Now, if you were like me, you would have been way back on this line. And if I tried to make my jump to God, I'd be like, God? And immediately fall, right? But then you have other people. You have other people. Because they try to talk about people like, what about Confucius, who was so wise? What about Gandhi, who was this peacemaker? What about all these other people? They may be better than me, right? 
They may have been better in their stories than me. But God is perfect. God is sinless. God is holy. God is set apart. And they're trying to make their way to God. And so though they may get closer to God in making that leap over the chasm than I would have. Remember, I dropped right there. Gandhi might be right here, but still... Yeah, go a little further. Okay, yeah. Gandhi might still be here, and he, peaceful man as he was, still miss it. Why? Because Gandhi's still sinful. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All fall short of the glory of God, except one. Except one. And that one was the bridge. That one was Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who came humbling himself, taking on flesh, and said, you know what? I'm the only one who's obeyed him perfectly. Okay, come a little closer this time. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm the only one who can bridge a gap. I'm the only one who can stretch out my arms. I'm the only one who can be someone that you can actually cross over and walk across to bridge this gap between sinful humanity and a holy, perfect God. And if you choose to do it on your own, you're going to fall into that pit. If you choose to do it through me, you have a bridge to cross over through my outstretched arms, through the cross, through my death, burial, and resurrection from the dead so that you can, in fact, Let's pull it together now. Be reconciled to God. <laughs> All right, give it up for them, please. Simple enough, right? Simple enough that anybody at a lunch, I don't know how many times, I'm going to tell you the truth. I've brought this same example out in a lunch with people. How many people love sharing the gospel over food? I do. <laughs> okay. Sharing the good news over food. First person we led to the Lord out here in Chicago was at a sushi restaurant. I said, hallelujah. Okay. The thing is, I've talked to people and I've broken out that napkin and step by step with a pen just drew that analogy so that people would know. Whoever hears his word and believes him who sent him has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I'm telling you, I've actually crumpled up that napkin after people have responded, not just here in the U.S., but around the world, and responded to Jesus for the first time and actually been willing to throw it away, just getting ready to pray that sinner's prayer with them. And they were like, no, 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 no. Can I have that napkin? And I was like, why? I want the story. They said, I want the story. I want to remember this story over and over again. Because for me, it was mundane. For them, it was life. Because God's story is powerful. And it's something that all of us can communicate in a manner just like that. Now, is that exhaustive? Absolutely not. That's why we have the Bible. 
That is why we have the Bible. But is this something that anybody can ingest and understand, and not just understand, but communicate to other people for their benefit, that their eyes might be opened, that people might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and from death to life? The answer is yes. It's an analogy that all of us have and can utilize. Remember, handsome David and handsome Kevin and Rollin falling to his death until Jesus made a bridge. But it's not just that stories and the words used to tell them are powerful. It's not just that God has a story. When you think about helping people who are far from God come to God, often they want something tangible. They want something real. They don't want just a message. They want to, they want to hear, how does this work? How does this work? What we believe here is what we believe in is not just that you believe the good news, but that you're actually discipled. Jesus said to go out into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. And so it's not just somebody believing the good news, but then it's like, how do I actually live this out? In the same way, if somebody's going to as far from God as I once was, is going to actually put their trust in Jesus so that they can actually begin to walk with him in a real and meaningful way, what they also need to hear is not just God's story, but they need to hear your story as well, which is otherwise known as your testimony. And whether or not you grew up in the church, you have a testimony. You hear me? You have a testimony. So many people who've grown up in the church disqualify themselves because they think, I've been around it all my life, therefore I don't have a testimony that's going to really impact somebody else. But let me tell you something. You know one of the miracles that there were to me in, like, in actually understanding who God was and that his power could actually change my life? When I saw somebody who grew up in the same type of environment as myself but were actually in a church world and actually living out the life of God faithfully, faithfully, and didn't have all the baggage I had because of the sin choices that I was making. That was a testimony to me. I was like, wait a minute, God's way is better. Isn't that what happens? You know what God said in Isaiah? He said, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. That resonated with me, you understand? When I was like hearing the good news of the gospel, I was like, wait a minute, you're saying this is good. I want to taste it and I want to see it. Somebody show me that this really works. I wanted to know two things. I wanted to know, number one, was it true? That's why we're teaching things like the apologetics class with Tegan and Sarah, right? The understanding, is there veracity to this? Is there validity to this? You have reasons for the hope that you have. The reasons that you believe. And then number two, does it work? Does it work? Because if it works, I want some of it, right? If I was going from party to party, but still full of insecurity, depression, and fears, I wanted to actually have something that would work and bring me out of that. I wanted something that would give me a life, meaning, and purpose. And that's where testimony comes in. Testimony comes in. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, he's talking about the testimony that are changing people's lives. Because Jesus, he said his word didn't come in word, his gospel didn't come in word only, but in what? Power. Power. That's why the gospel of the kingdom is full of power. Power to heal. Power to save. 
opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, raising people from the dead. Today, with power, the gospel is coming forward. We have testimony after testimony of God healing people physically, seeing their lives change. And that's what the gospels were full of. We see in verse 12, let's read this together, an instant of Jesus healing a man who was a leper. It said in verse 12, while he, meaning Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And if you remember the condition, it was one where your nerves were damaged, so you hurt yourself, and then all of a sudden you got all of these cuts, bruises, and then it began to rot and stagnate, you mold, mold, all of these things. Your body was falling apart because of this disease. He says, there was a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. That's the state I was in. I was like, listen, I need to change. I was begging you. Just change my life. He begged him, Lord if you will, in the NIV it said, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Sometimes people don't even know what God's disposition is towards them. I know what kind of life I was living. I know the types of things that I've done. Is God even interested in helping me? If you're willing, you can make me clean. And a me, I'm sorry, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. In the NIV, he says, I am willing. Be clean. That word willing in the Greek actually had to do with his disposition. He's favorably disposed to helping people. It wasn't a bother to him is what it meant. He wasn't trying to get him out of the way or say, go about your business. I'm I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. I've got things to do. Stop bothering me with your issues. Stop bothering me with your alcoholism. Stop bothering me with your adulteries. Stop bothering me with all these things that are separating you from God. I've got things to do. He said, I am favorably disposed to helping you. I am willing. Be clean. And it said, immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest. Now, often people ask me, well, why did he say not to tell anybody? Well, if you read further in the same, like, synoptic and Mark, it said that when he started telling everybody, it was hard for Jesus to enter the city, right? Mobs, when he's getting healed, and all of a sudden, like, all these people have the option to get healed physically, they were mobbing Jesus. It was hard to get around, and so Jesus had to stay out in desolate places, but to another man, even Mark chapter 5, the demoniac who he healed from the legion of demons, he actually said, go and tell everybody this testimony. Go tell everybody what God's done for you. He said, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded you for a proof to them. Go give a testimony, he said. Meaning that there was a time before Jesus entered a person's life and there was some significant change after. And that's really what your testimony should be. My BC, right? My BC days. <laughs> okay? And isn't it funny how people try to reorient themselves in our modern culture? The CE and the BCE, right? The common era and before the common era. But guess what? It's still centered around his life. Can't get rid of Jesus. All right, anyway. But the point, <laughs> the point is, he says, there's my BC life, 
my before Christ life, and your testimony should have a conversion, a cross experience. That's the handle. That's the hinge. How you met Jesus. And then A.D., Adam Domini, the year of the Lord, when he showed up in your life, there should be something different. And how many people can say amen to that? When Jesus shows up in your life, there should be a difference. That before Christ, I was one thing. In this man's case, before Christ, I was leprous. I was an outcast. My life was falling apart. But then Jesus, I met him. I asked him to heal me, to cleanse me. And then after, I was immediately cleansed. And once again, I wasn't in that, once again, I was able to enter society. Once again, I was able to relate to people. Once again, I was able to do so on and so forth. There is a testimony that each and every one of you have. Let's give some examples of before and after stories. You might just be able to recognize. Actually, there, um, it's going back to the uh, PowerPoint where we have just uh, different lists. Okay? Um, different list of even words that might have described your before and after. Some of you might have said, before Jesus, I was striving. Now I'm grateful. Before Jesus, I was self-destructive, but now I'm healthy. Before Jesus, I felt guilty. Now I'm liberated. Before Jesus, I was fear-stricken. Now I'm confident. Before Jesus, I was despairing. Now I'm hopeful. How many people could identify with some of those terms? That Jesus changed my life and there's a before, and there's an after. And whenever you're giving your testimony, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Short, concise, powerful descriptions of what your life was before Jesus that people can relate with, and when you met Jesus, how it changed. That's the power of a testimony. But what you don't want to do is actually jumble your words and turn people off by things like this. Let's show you two examples and going to a video, okay? The power of story. There are ways that faith stories can get derailed. The first way a faith story or your testimony can get derailed is by using words that people just do not understand, even in talking about your own story. It's what otherwise people call Christianese, and it's a vernacular that is not recognizable to the world that is far from God. Okay? Let's give an example here. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of God. Thou shalt no longer be termed Forsaken? Okay. Now, within the church, within the church, the people who read their Bibles, that can be encouraging. Okay? Maybe. But, okay. But to people who have no understanding of God or His Word, how many people think that that made sense? Right. But how many people know that some, in trying to share the good news of Jesus, have actually communicated in that way before? Using, I mean, I used to have friends try to reach out to me, and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Honestly, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny here. I just wanted to hit them. I'd be like, listen, this is just, 
you're bothering me, <laughs> you know? But when they explain things in a way that were both biblical, biblical, and understandable, guess what? My ears perked up. All of a sudden, when they gave a testimony where they were telling me about a life that I could really relate to, I was like, wait a minute, Jesus died for me because I was, you know, I was, I, I was dishonoring my mother and father? Yes, I understand that. Or I was living in sexual morality? Yes, I understand that. You're talking to me in real terms. Yeah, what I was doing last night, I would have gone to hell for that? Yes, I understand that. Matter of fact, I feel like I still need to sometimes. But listen, the thing... Not now. I was talking about back then. But not now. I'm clean. I'm cleansed by the blood. Okay. But the, but the thing is, is I understood. I understood what they were meaning, right? Talking in terms that are understandable is very important. But the other thing that can derail a testimony or a faith story is an air of superiority whenever you're trying to share about the good news of Jesus. How many people ever came from a culture or an environment where you t- describe people as holier than thou? Do you know what I'm talking about? Holier than thou, saying like, I have got all the answers and I'm looking down on you because you don't have any of them. And then listen, you better turn or burn, baby. Right? Let's show this example. <laughs> I pray all the time now. And I pray for friends like you, you know, whose, whose lives are going nowhere. I pray for understanding that God will help me know what's wrong with people so that, you know, I can be a lifesaver for them. How many people have at least ever felt that before? Okay, right, right, me too, me too, right? But the way that we're supposed to share the good news of the gospel is with what? Words of humility. Words of gentleness. Matter of fact, Peter says with words of respect. That though people might think, act, or believe something different than you in the moment, you still treat them with those characteristics that they might not be derailed or turned off by the way you're presenting on things, not Jesus himself, right? Isn't that what some famous um, thinkers have said? I love your Jesus, I don't like the Christians. But if we instead reflect Jesus in our attitude as we share, then people will have ears to hear. Jesus said, the Father taught me not only what to say, but how to say it. How to say it. And so here's the practical takeaway from this point. Each one of you have a story. You have a BC, you have a cross, meaning that how you got, came to Christ, and you have an AD. How your life is different since actually following Jesus. What we're asking you to do is not just sit here and have a good time and let's love and laugh together, but to actually take some time and write your story down. Write your story down. Over the course of this week, what is your testimony What was your life like before you met Jesus? How, in fact, did you come to know Jesus? And since coming to know Jesus, how has your life changed? How is it now different? And what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to use our fun little app 
Cole's been talking about it for the past several weeks, past several months. We have an app now, Second City Church, okay? And you can actually go to the contact us section and send us your testimony. Send us your story. So that by looking at it, we can actually give you some encouragement and give you some help and say, hey, if you were to sit across from a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor, this is how it might be maybe too long. Because a testimony should be something what, I like what one of our uh, missions director calls it, a two-minute miracle, right? So that if you're in, in front of somebody trying to share the good news, you're not putting them to sleep, right? <laughs> but instead, you're actually saying, hey, listen, just want to give you a soundbite. This is how God's changed my life. You want to know more? I got more for you. I want to use words. We want, you, want to, you want somebody to be able to hear it, to know if there are some of those words that come off as airs of superiority or some words that just aren't going to be intelligible to the world around us. And we can give you some feedback. Your community group, you can do that together in your community group as an exercise. And Big Ben and also Chris working on our social media over the course of the next several months have even talked about even videoing some testimonies to testify. I'm right, right? Okay, good. Okay, okay, yeah. All right, just make sure. Okay, but yeah, but videoing some testimonies that can give glory to God about how He's changed their life and get it out to the world, right? How many of you spend more hours than you would like to admit just surfing the internet sometimes? Going from one social media post to another, saying, oh, that was cool, or that made me angry, you know? (laughs) But how many people would like to hear something encouraging? about how God has actually changed the life. This is something practical and something that we could all do in terms of helping us to get involved in walking across the room, being aware of the opportunities and having the power of a spirit-directed faith story. So as we close today, this is what I want to remind you of. Number one, stories and the words used to tell them, they're powerful. They're powerful. God intends words to be powerful. Number two, God has a story, and we all want to learn to tell it well. Remember the bridge example. If you don't remember, if you want to use another example, that's great, but at least remember the bridge. And number three, you have a story. Also learn to tell that well. It is your testimony and part of what God will use as evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, just like the leper who's now healed, has he healed you? Has he made you new? If not, today's your day to bow your heart and knee to him and be made new. And that's the good news. So let's have the worship team come back up. We're going to pray. We'll have communion. And then we'll leave worshiping, thinking about how to share the good news of Jesus. Please bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you that, God, you have given us your story clearly and succinctly through your word. God, we pray that we'd be a people who are fully impacted by it, that we wouldn't be people who just hear about the good news of Jesus, but we'd be the people who are forever changed by it. And as we're changed by it, God, we pray that we'd be people who are able to tell and communicate your story well. But not only your story, but also your story within a story, the story you've given us, our testimony. Help us over the course of this week to think about it, to articulate it, 
and share it that it might be for the salvation of many lives. In Jesus' name, amen.